Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, that'll be on page 11. As you're finding your place, one of the benefits of a commitment to preaching through books of the Bible is that it forces me uh, to cover what the Apostle Paul referred to as the whole counsel of God. And it prevents me from avoiding passages or topics uh, that I might choose to skip over otherwise. And I think that's good for the church because oftentimes the difficult or uncomfortable passages of Scripture have really important things for us to see. And it's also good for us to know that God's Word is not a book of fairy tales or, or a bunch of superficial uh, pie-in-the-sky fables that are detached from reality. You know, God has, has spoken to us through people and situations that are as real life as it gets. Uh, so much so that sometimes we come to a passage uh, or a topic in public worship uh, that would be considered rated PG-13 or above, and that can be uh, challenging to handle those discreetly. And I realized this week that with chapter 17, we are coming into a section of Genesis where there are going to be some passages like that. And so in the weeks to come, we're going to have a few days where we're going to extend the age range of our children's church to hopefully help avoid parents having uh, awkward and uncomfortable lunch conversations. Uh, and we'll let you know when that will be uh, in advance. We're not there yet, but we are warming up. Uh, and so this morning, the Lord is going to confirm his covenant with Abram uh, as the time of fulfillment finally approaches. And so we're in Genesis chapter 17, and we are going to begin in verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So last week we saw that Abram and Sarai tried to solve their problem of, of childlessness uh, by, by using Sarai's servant Hagar to give birth in her place instead of waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promises. And we saw the mess that came out from that plan. Well, as we move now into chapter 17, we fast forward 13 years 
when Abram is 99 years old, the Lord appears to him again. And right up front, there's some take-home application here uh, that I would like to draw out. It's not the point of the, of the story, but I do think it's worth taking a moment to acknowledge that God takes his time. God takes his time. He is not in a hurry. Right, way back in chapter 12, when Abram first heard from the Lord and, and received these promises, he had no idea that this was how it was all going to work out. It was much more streamlined in his head. And likewise, there are seasons of our lives where we are waiting for the Lord to do something, whether to, uh, to provide for us in some way or to intervene in our circumstances or, or whatever the case may be, but it's not happening. And as time goes on, we may be tempted to resign ourselves to the idea that it's not going to happen and become discouraged. But we see here in verse 1 that it has been almost 25 years since Abram first received the Lord's promises. It's been 25 years of waiting to get to the point where the fulfillment is finally about to arrive. And that should remind us and hopefully encourage us that God always has a purpose and a plan behind his timing. The Lord is always at work. And eventually we'll see how. So don't give up hope. But in verse 1, the Lord appears to Abram again, and this time he says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Now this is the first time that the Lord has referred to himself as God Almighty, and I think the significance of that title is found in what he says he's going to do throughout the rest of this chapter. Right, the Lord is going to do things that are impossible. And in so doing, he's going to demonstrate that there is nothing that is truly impossible for him. He is almighty. And then in verse 2, we see that the purpose the Lord is seeking here is to make or to establish his covenant with Abram. And so you'll remember the Lord made his, his covenant with Abram back in chapter 15. And it may seem at first like he's making another covenant here. But the wording is actually more along the lines of, of confirming the covenant that has already been made. In other words, what's happening here is a development of the covenant from, from chapter 15. So in this development of the covenant, the Lord calls Abram to walk before him and be blameless. As we've seen before, the, the metaphor of, of walking refers to the way a person lives his or her life. Uh, but the phrase to walk before someone is also connected to the idea of being a representative for them, uh, much like we saw John the Baptist went before Jesus. And so we've already seen that Abram is destined to be a source of blessing to the other nations of the earth. And in this covenant, the Lord is calling him to represent him to those other nations. The way Abram lives his life should point these other peoples to the Lord in a way that they are drawn to know him for themselves. And so uh, in this way, uh, this will require Abram to be blameless, which we've seen previously is not the same thing as sinless, because that's not possible. Blameless refers to a general orientation towards faithfulness and obedience in our lives. And in response to this call, Abram falls to the ground in a, in a position of worship and submission to the Lord's command. And so in verse 4, the Lord tells Abram that he is going to change his name to Abraham, 
The name Abram means exalted father, but the name Abraham means father of many. And we've talked before about the fact that in the ancient world, a person's name was more than simply the title that people used to identify them. Your name encompassed everything about who you were and and what you did. Your name was your reputation. And so the significance of a name change would be that who you are going forward is going to be different than who you have been up to this point, literally and figuratively. And Abraham is going to be the father of a multitude of nations as the Lord multiplies him exceedingly. Then in verses 7 and 8, God promises to establish his covenant between Abraham and his descendants forever. And once again, God promises to provide Abram's offspring with the land of Canaan for their inheritance and to be their God. And that last statement is really incredible. Is it not out of all the people in the world, the God of the universe is promising to attach himself exclusively to Abraham and Abraham's offspring, to to bless, provide for, and protect them. A a privilege beyond expression. The Lord has offered this and is making this covenant with Abram. Abraham. And the Lord's going to continue to explain this covenant as we pick up again, beginning in verse 9. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so the Lord has told Abraham what he is going to do. And now as we pick up in verse 9, the Lord gives instructions about what Abraham himself is to do. He gives uh, these instructions, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And and the Lord reveals in verse 9 that the sign of the covenant that Abraham is to keep is the act of circumcision. And so every male in Abraham's household, whether they be family or whether they be servants, is to be circumcised. And going forward, every male child in Abraham's lineage is to be circumcised on the eighth day after they are born. Now, circumcision was widely practiced in the ancient world in in various cultures for a variety of reasons. But particularly in Egypt, which is a place where the Israelites had significant time, circumcision was used to consecrate priests to the service of a particular deity. And that seems to be the meaning here. Abraham and his offspring are to be devoted to the one true God and, and, and to represent him to the rest of the world. And circumcision would be a permanent mark that consistently reminded them of their covenant responsibilities. And as the sign of the covenant, circumcision would be required for anyone who came into the Jewish faith from outside. It is not optional. 
In fact, in verse 14, the Lord declares that anyone who is not circumcised will be cut off from the people as a covenant breaker. And that phrase cut off is judgment language. Anyone who who ignores or neglects the sign of the covenant will experience God's curse. And that could be expressed through excommunication from the community or even through execution, as we see throughout the Old Testament. And this may seem harsh to us. We may not understand why this is such a big deal. But it's a clear reminder that God is the one who sets the terms for relationship with him. God sets the terms for relationship with him. We saw this as we went through the Gospel of Luke. We saw this back in chapter 4 with the offerings of Cain and Abel. So often we we get it in our minds that that we can offer God whatever we feel like offering him. And he'll just be overjoyed that we bothered to do anything at all. But no, God is God. He tells us what he requires. He sets the bar and then we can either be in or we can be out. And so we need to understand that the Lord is making the offer of a lifetime here, uh, the the offer of an eternity, frankly, for that matter. There is no cost or commitment that is too high or or somehow unreasonable for him to request of his people. And he will not accept anything less than obedience on his terms for those who would be in covenant with him. And so now after giving Abraham these instructions, the Lord's going to elaborate more on this covenant as we pick up in verse 15. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And so as we turn uh, into verse 15, the Lord uh, places his attention on Sarah. And like Abraham, he gives her a name change as well. She will now be known as Sarah. Now both Sarai and Sarah mean princess. They they mean the same thing. Uh, But with this change, there seems to be a distinction between the idea of Sarai coming from a royal lineage and Sarah being the start or the beginning of a royal lineage because she is going to be used by the Lord uh, to be the means through which Abraham becomes a father of multitudes. And in verse 16, we see that while up to this point Sarah has been barren, from now on she is going to be blessed, and the Lord is going to give Abraham a son by her. Now, in response to this, Abraham falls down again, but this time he falls down laughing. He knows how old they are, and he knows how biology works. And so the idea of them having a child together at this particular point in time seems absolutely ludicrous. 
And, and in verse 18, he appeals to the Lord to accept Ishmael as his heir. And certainly we saw last week that the conception of Ishmael was ill-advised. But nevertheless, he's still Abraham's son. And no doubt Abraham loves him and wants good things for him. And it seems only logical and straightforward that he should be the heir. But the Lord insists that Sarah is going to have a son and that he's going to be named Isaac, which means laughter. And it is with him that the covenant is going to be established. Nevertheless, in verse 20, we see that the Lord is going to bless Ishmael as well as a, re- as a result of, of Abraham's, Abraham's prayer for him uh, in his own way, just as the angel of the Lord promised Hagar last week. Uh, Ishmael is going to be the father of 12 princes, and he will become a great nation all of his own. But the covenant is going to be established with Isaac and with Isaac's offspring. And the Lord reveals that Sarah is going to have Isaac in exactly one year. And so the Lord has explained the substance of the covenant, and we'll see how Abraham responds as we finish out the chapter beginning in verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And so picking up in verse 22, after the Lord has spoken to Abraham, Abraham, he goes back up into heaven, And Abraham immediately takes Ishmael and every other male in his household, and they are circumcised in obedience to the covenant. Now, we saw back in chapter 12 that that Abram had already acquired people while living in the land of Haran. And in chapter 13, we saw that he received male servants from Pharaoh in exchange for Sarai uh, while they were in Egypt. And, And then in chapter 14, we saw that he had 318 men who were of age to go into battle. And so the the total number of males in Abraham's household at this point could easily be 500 to 1,000 or or even more. And so Abraham rounds them all up, and he says to them, I have a couple of announcements to make. First of all, uh, from now on, you're going to call me Abraham. God has changed my name because I'm going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And secondly we're all going to get circumcised. It was a great day. It was a great day. And so, uh, make no mistake, this obedience is another act of faith on Abraham's part. Uh, I think we can all uh, appreciate the fact that this would not happen if Abraham was not believing the fact that God would do what he has promised he will do. And so, once again, Abraham responds in obedient faith as he anticipates the coming fulfillment of God's promises. And so in our passage this morning, the Lord establishes his covenant with Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham, as once again the Lord promises that he is going to give him an exceedingly great number of offspring who will inherit the promised land for their own possession. And God institutes the covenant sign of circumcision that will apply to all males in Israel. And this sign of circumcision becomes a defining aspect of what it means 
to be Jewish, to, to belong uh, to the nation of Israel. And in fact, we see in the Bible that eventually the, the Israelite people come to be known as the circumcision, those who are circumcised. Of course, as always, we need to recognize that a physical sign is always intended to point toward a spiritual reality. Right? The truth is that circumcision is not an end in itself. It's meant to signify a spiritual reality, which is a total commitment to the Lord. And so just to take one example of this, if you think about when David uh, faces off against Goliath, he, he refers to Goliath as that uncircumcised Philistine. And of course, David is not simply making a physical observation at this moment. This would be a very odd time to do something like that. No, he's actually making a theological declaration that all of these other soldiers who are hiding with their tails between their legs should already have understood. And that's that this guy is outside the covenant of God. That this guy is an enemy of God. He's not circumcising. God is going to destroy him. And so we don't need to be afraid of him, no matter how big or strong he is. And so, uh, again, the, the circumcision is ultimately about a commitment to the Lord, and we should understand that apart from that commitment, it really didn't mean anything. In fact, by the time Abraham's descendants finally get to the promised land in, in fulfillment of God's promises in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses reveals that while all the, the people may be circumcised, that does not guarantee that they are going to live faithfully before the Lord. And in fact, he tells them that they're going to break the covenant at Mount Sinai and be driven into exile in judgment. But eventually the Lord will bring them back and restore them. And Moses says to the people, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Later on, as, as the people are about to experience this exile, uh, the prophet Jeremiah picks up on it and says in, in chapter 9, verse 25, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. And so we see that while the Lord has instituted circumcision here, uh, what he is really after is the heart of his people. That's what circumcision is, is meant to signify. It's our sinful and rebellious hearts that ultimately need to be circumcised. And we have to understand from, from our position in salvation history on the other side of the, the cross and resurrection that the heart work that we so desperately need has been made available to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, under the new covenant, the promised blessing of Abraham that we've been reading about for several chapters comes to all nations. And consequently, the, the physical act of circumcision is no longer necessary. And th this truth explodes across the New Testament as the good news of Jesus is shared with people from all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up on this section of Genesis as he argues that faith in Christ uh, supersedes the need to be circumcised. And he, he says in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Is this blessing, referring to salvation, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? 
It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And so it's important for us to understand that Abraham was counted righteous by faith way back in chapter 12 before circumcision because that demonstrates the truth that circumcision is ultimately not the point. A heart of faith was. And beyond that, listen to how the New Testament talks about this. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, we read, "For, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. And so we see that under Christ, belonging to the people of God, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. And that has been accomplished for those who trust in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, whether they are a Jew or a Gentile. Galatians 6.15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Right? In Christ, the reality that circumcision pointed to under the old covenant has arrived, and we are made new through faith in Jesus. Philippians 3.3 says, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so we see that belonging to the circumcision under the new covenant really has nothing to do with circumcision. In Colossians 2.11, it says that, that by him also, referring to Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.19 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Again, the heart commitment that leads to a lifestyle of love and obedience to God is what God has been after this whole time. And this is just a sampling, uh, and we can talk about it more tonight if any of you are brave enough to show up to Q&A. But under the new covenant, we are brought into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and what he has done for us. The message of the church is that if you are looking to know God, there are no hoops that you have to jump through because everything that is necessary to be saved has been done for us by Jesus and you can receive the covenant by believing and trusting in what he has done for you. And so this morning we can rejoice and that the only thing that we need to do to receive the covenant blessings of God is to trust in the one who has established it for us. Let's pray together. Father, as always, we are grateful for your word. And Lord, this morning we are grateful for the fact that, uh, for one thing, we live under the new covenant. And so, so many of the things that uh, would have been necessary or required in times past have been fulfilled through Jesus, and we simply get to benefit uh, from what he has done through his life, death, and resurrection to make us right with you. Father, as we have heard your word this morning, I pray that, that we would take the new covenant seriously. That, Father, we would rejoice in the salvation that you have provided for us. That, that we would embrace the newness of life that you've made available by your spirit. And that we would live every day to bring honor and glory to you as we represent you to the watching world as your covenant people. And so, Father, as we take time to respond this morning, I pray that you would lead us to respond in line with your word. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.